0: Grace and peace from God and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Throughout my childhood years, we made many regular treks down to Claxton, Georgia, to visit with my father's mother and to help maintain the farm where Dad had grown up. It was not unusual during the summer months that one of these visits would be about the time of the Anderson family reunion, where relatives from all over Southeast Georgia would gather at a campground and picnic area beside a dark running river for a day of feasting and fellowship. I can still remember the delicious fried chicken and the blueberry pies that we consumed there as we gathered in the morning and stayed together until late afternoon. Although I didn't know all of my cousins that well, we still were given freedom to run wherever we wanted to on the campground. We could go to the store and buy penny candy, and we could go anywhere on the playground or anywhere around the campground we wanted to with one rule. One is that we did not go into the river unless there was an adult there and that we had our bathing suits on. We didn't always observe that rule, especially as we grew older. Our parents did not worry about where we were because we were with family and friends and we were safe together. And all of the adults watched over all the children and even the older children watched over the younger ones. And so it makes sense to me from personal experience that this morning's lesson about the journey back from Jerusalem that Mary and Joseph made the assumption that Jesus was safely with other cousins somewhere else in the group of people traveling back home after the Passover visit to Jerusalem. This is the only glimpse that we have in the New Testament of Jesus' childhood. There are other stories, notably in the Gospel of Thomas, which are not very well received or respected because they get a little bizarre in some of their happenings, and usually shows some misuse of Jesus's divine nature as a child. But we can learn a lot from this lesson. One of the most important things we can learn is that Jesus grew up in a devout and faithful Jewish household. There were three principal feasts, known as Pilgrim's Feast, where Jewish people were expected to go and worship in the temple. And because of distance and financial considerations and traveling issues, um, the only one that was really required and the only one that was always observed was this Passover gathering each year. We know that Mary and Joseph went each year, and there's a likelihood that this is not the first time that Jesus was present for the Passover in Jerusalem. But this year it's different this year, there's a great deal of importance. This year, he is 12 years old, and he's entered a period of time where he is transi- transitioning from childhood into an adult. For at the age of 12, you were considered an adult, and the age throughout the year, the 12th year, you were taught the, the lessons you needed to learn to be a devout <clears throat> and faithful Jew. It was especially important for Jesus this time to be present for it was his last opportunity simply to observe the Passover feast, whereas next year after his 13th birthday and he was fully initiated into the Jewish faith, he would have to be a full participant in a Passover feast. He is facing those tra- a transition of monumental importance to him and to his family and not too much unlike the many transitions that we face in those ages from 11 and 12 through our teenage years. It is an important time for him, and he is ready to learn. So it's not surprising either that when it came time to return to Nazareth that Jesus, without telling Mary and Joseph, decided to stay just a little while longer And take advantage of the opportunity to sit and be taught by some of the best educated scholars and leaders of his day and age of the Jewish faith. So he's found sitting in the temple, listening to and being taught by um, scholars and others, rabbis and teachers, in a very rabbinical manner of teaching. They all would have been sitting on the floor together and the students would ask questions and then those present the, no, the the teachers and other scholars would discuss every angle and every aspect of the question and it would be rather thorough and complete and out of that you would get all kinds of nuances of the meaning of being a Jew and the importance of observing this law and that he doesn't jesus doesn't want to wait for the full year or go through the whole process over an extended period of time, he wants the knowledge and he wants it now. It seems as if he's already aware that he is to be about God's business, about God's teaching, about fulfilling the Creator's plan, and he wants to get on with the task as quickly as possible. And those who hear him ask the questions, and those who are listening to his response are astonished by his wisdom and his knowledge and his understanding and grasp of the concepts that even people many years his age are not able to comprehend. Yet, still at this point in this story, Jesus is simply a 12 year old boy learning what it means to be an adult. It is a major transition in his life. Now, we all know that transitions are a part of our lives, some of them are happy. Some of them sad, some are easy, and many are very difficult. Some we plan, and others come upon us unexpectedly at a moment that we really don't want them or in a way that we really don't want. But, But they're still a part of our lives. It's a part of being human and alive to face transition, change, and growth. If we were able to look back, which we are, we could identify any number of transitions in our lifetimes, and if we could look forward, we would still see more coming to us. It's a part of what it means to be alive. Now, we've all remembered major transitions in our lives, and it's easy to remain upbeat and happy during the good ones, during the happy ones. It is easy to be a faithful person when things are going our way. But it's the growing experiences, the difficult times, the unexpected, not planned for transitions that can lead us away from God into places of darkness and despair and maybe even hopelessness. In fact, we have a tendency as human beings to get to a point where we aren't even able to reach out for help, reach out to the community around us who can help lift us up as well. Now that the leaves have fallen for the winter, it is very easy to see the spot at which Susie fell some 19 months ago from inside of our cabin. We were at the cabin several times over the past week, and we have to walk our dogs. Got to walk the dogs. We have a new dog named Bandit, and if we just let him run free, all the deer in the woods would be terrorized. So. The day before yesterday, we were down at the end of a curve in our driveway, and I caught Susie looking over at the spot where she had fallen. And then she turned and asked me, why am I still here? There's dead silence. There's not an answer. God absolutely is the answer. But Why am I still here? That transitional moment led to what is still an ongoing transitional experience in our lives. And one of the things, if you've listened to me preach much, you know that I quote song lyrics like many people use poetry in their sermons. And one of the songs that kept me going throughout that difficult transition, and one that I knew and believed to be true, is entitled, I Know Uh, You Are Near, written by Dan Schulte. The chorus goes, Yahweh, I know you are near, standing always by my side. You guard me from the foe. You lead me in ways everlasting. Verse, Lord, you have searched my heart and you know when I sit and when I stand, your hand is upon me, protecting me from death, keeping me from harm. Yahweh, I know you are here standing always at my side you guard me from the foe and you lead me in ways everlasting we know that jesus has become aware of who he is and whose he is and he chooses to return to nazareth with his parents and to continue to learn and grow grow in stature grow in faith grow in wisdom and knowledge and grow in the ways that God would have us all grow. In effect, Jesus chooses to say yes to the ultimate plan for his life, for the one who sent him, the same way that Mary said yes just years before, both of them trusting deeply in God and knowing that Yahweh is near. Can we say yes to God? Are we able to proclaim who we are and whose we are in the world? Are we willing to trust in God in the good times and to come to know God when things are easy so that when the demanding and challenging times come, we have laid a foundation of faith and a relationship with God and others that can help pick us up and carry us through the storm? Are we able to know that Jesus is truly the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end, the first and the last, who in these last days was sent to be the Savior of the world, who was sent to be our Savior. Can we allow ourselves to live into rather than through transitions in our lives and to grow and change, and grow from fear and doubt into hope and assuredness in God's mercy? Can we accept the embr- embracing? And embrace the grace and love made known to us in the life of this little boy sitting with his teachers in the temple. Now, if you were all good Episcopalians, which I'm sure you are, you would have made New Year's resolutions about six weeks ago, on first Sunday of Advent. Now, I don't make resolutions anymore these days. Um, I find I break them fairly quickly and I don't know any reason I need to heap even more guilt or coals upon my head. (laughs) But at this time of year, many of us look closely to who we are and how we're living. We celebrate our successes and our disappointments and failures and we try to make some adjustment to the direction in which we're going. I like to think more of it as a commitment because if you don't First, keep a commitment. you got another opportunity. Once you break a resolution, it's broken. You can continue to strive for a commitment. I would challenge you, invite you, to think about ways in which you might know that Yahweh is near. Grow in your understanding of God's love and presence for you in your life, love for you. Ways in which you can grow in your faith and in your connection to this community, this community of faith and support. Find ways in which you might discern what it is that God is going to call you and to transition to next. There are lots of ways to do it. You can come on Wednesday nights to gift or one of the other midweek adult formation offerings. You can come to the classes on Sunday morning. Just come an hour earlier. And there are adult formation classes offered most every Sunday. Better yet, at least from my point of view, Make a commitment to teach our children. And, you know, guess what? You'll learn something too. You'll grow in the faith because you learn best by teaching. There's always a need for teachers. Maybe even, and I didn't look, I should have before I suggest this, that you can go online and find a, a sound um, online Bible study, daily Bible study, that is, is sound in its teaching and its perspective. And then you can continue to grow and make a transition to a deeper uh, knowledge and love of God, sitting in the comfort at your own home and in front of your own keyboard. The opportunities are many, and the benefits are great. When difficult times come, and they will, when uncomfortable transitions confront us, The foundation of the faith will keep us from losing faith. And it's not the time to start trying to develop a relationship with God when the crisis is upon you. The time to do that is now. Building a foundation that will not be shaken when the trouble comes. Not be torn apart when the wind blows hard. Not be carried away by the rushing water. But instead... Strongly founded upon the love of God and knowledge of God's presence, we will know, you will know, that Yahweh is near, always standing by our side. Thanks be to God.